chapter twenty part one of supplements to the second book from the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty objectification of the will in the animal organism part one by objectification i understand the self-exhibition in the real corporeal world however this world itself as was fully shown in the first book in its supplements is throughout conditioned by the knowing subject thus by the intellect and therefore as such is absolutely inconceivable outside the knowledge of this subject for it primarily consists simply of ideas of perception and as such is a phenomenon of the brain after its removal the thing in itself would remain that this is the will is the theme of the second book and is there proved first of all in the animal organism and in that of the brutes the knowledge of the external world may also be defined as the consciousness of other things in opposition to self-consciousness since we have found in the latter that its true object or material is the will we shall now with the same intention take into consideration the consciousness of other things thus objective knowledge now here my thesis is this that which in self-consciousness thus subjectively is the intellect presents itself in the consciousness of other things thus objectively as the brain and that which in self-consciousness thus subjectively is the will presents itself in the consciousness of other things thus objectively as the whole organism to the evidence which is given in support of this proposition both in our second book and in the first two chapters of the treatise über den willen in der natur i add the following supplementary remarks and illustrations nearly all that is necessary to establish the first part of this thesis has already been brought forward in the preceding chapter for in the necessity of sleep in the alterations that arise from age and in the differences of the anatomical conformation it was proved that the intellect is of a secondary nature and depends absolutely upon a single organ the brain whose function it is just as grasping is the function of the hand that it is therefore physical like digestion not metaphysical like the will as good digestion requires a healthy strong stomach as athletic power requires muscular sinewy arms so extraordinary intelligence requires an unusually developed beautifully formed brain of exquisitely fine texture and animated by a vigorous pulse the nature of the will on the contrary is dependent upon no organ and can be prognosticated from none the greatest error in gall's phrenology is that he assigns organs of the brain for moral qualities also injuries to the head with loss of brain substance affect the intellect as a rule very disadvantageously they result in complete or partial imbecility or forgetfulness of language permanent or temporary yet sometimes only of one language out of several which were known also in the loss of other knowledge possessed etc etc on the other hand we never read that after a misfortune of this kind the character has undergone a change that the man has perhaps become morally worse or better or has lost certain inclinations or passions or assumed new ones never 
for the will has not its seat in the brain and moreover as that which is metaphysical it is the preuse of the brain as of the whole body and therefore cannot be altered by injuries of the brain according to an experiment made by spallanzani and repeated by voltaire a snail that has had its head cut off remains alive and after some weeks a new head grows on together with horns with this consciousness and ideas again appear while till then the snail had only given evidence of blind will through unregulated movements thus here also we find the will as the substance which is permanent the intellect on the contrary conditioned by its organ as the changing accident it may be defined as the regulator of the will it was perhaps tiedemann who first compared the cerebral nervous system to a parasite tiedemann in teberon's journal for physiologie book one section sixty two the comparison is happy for the brain together with the spinal cord and nerves which depend upon it is as it were implanted in the organism and is nourished by it without on its part directly contributing anything to the support of the economy of the organism therefore there can be life without a brain as in the case of brainless abortions and also in the case of tortoises which live for three weeks after their heads have been cut off only the medulla oblongata as the organ of respiration must be spared indeed a hen whose whole brain florins had cut away lived for ten months and grew even in the case of men the destruction of the brain does not produce death directly but only through the medium of the lungs and then of the heart on the other hand the brain controls the relations to the external world this alone is its office and hereby it discharges its debt to the organism which nourishes it since its existence is conditioned by the external relations accordingly the brain alone of all the parts requires sleep because its activity is completely distinct from its support the former only consumes both strength and substance the latter is performed by the rest of the organism as the nurse of the brain thus because its activity contributes nothing to its continued existence it becomes exhausted and only when it pauses in sleep does its nourishment go on unhindered the second part of our thesis stated above will require a fuller exposition even after all that i have said about it in the writings referred to i have shown above in chapter eighteen that the thing in itself which must lie at the foundation of every phenomenon and therefore of our own phenomenal existence also throws off in self-consciousness one of its phenomenal forms space and only retains the other time on this account it presents itself here more immediately than anywhere else and we claim it as will according to its most undisguised manifestation but no permanent substance such as matter is can present itself in time alone because as section four of the first volume showed such a substance is only possible through the intimate union of space and time therefore in self-consciousness the will is not apprehended as the enduring substratum of its impulses therefore is not perceived as a permanent substance but only its individual act such as purposes wishes and emotions are known successively and during the time they last directly yet not perceptibly the knowledge of the will in self-consciousness is accordingly not a perception of it but a perfectly direct becoming aware of its successive impulses on the other hand for the knowledge which is directed outwardly 
brought about by the senses and perfected in the understanding which besides time has also space for its form which to it connects in the closest manner by means of the function of the understanding causality whereby it really becomes perception this knowledge presents to itself perceptibly what in inner immediate apprehension was conceived as will as organic body whose particular movements visibly present to us the acts and whose parts and forms visibly present to us the sustained efforts the fundamental character of the individually given will nay whose pain and comfort are perfectly immediate affections of this will itself we first become aware of this identity of the body with the will in the individual actions of the two for in these what is known in self-consciousness as an immediate real act of the will at the same time and unseparated exhibits itself outwardly as movement of the body and every one beholds the purposes of his will which are instantaneously brought about by motives which just as instantaneously appear at once as faithfully copied in as many actions of his body as his body itself is copied in his shadow and from this for the unprejudiced man the knowledge arises in the simplest manner that his body is merely the outward manifestation of his will that is the way in which his will exhibits itself in his perceiving intellect or his will itself under the form of the idea only if we forcibly deprive ourselves of this primary and simple information can we for a short time marvel at the process of our own bodily action as a miracle which then rests on the fact that between the act of will and the action of the body there is really no causal connection for they are directly identical and their apparent difference only arises from the circumstance that here what is one and the same is apprehended in two different modes of knowledge the outer and the inner actual willing is in fact inseparable from doing and in the strictest sense only that is an act of the will which the deed sets its seal to mere resolves of the will on the contrary till they are carried out are only intentions and are therefore matter of the intellect alone as such they have their place merely in the brain and are nothing more than completed calculations of the relative strength of the different opposing motives they have therefore certainly great probability but no infallibility they may turn out false not only through alteration of the circumstances but also from the fact that the estimation of the effect of the respective motives upon the will itself was erroneous which then shows itself for the deed is untrue to the purpose therefore before it is carried out no resolve is certain the will itself then is operative only in real action hence in muscular action and consequently in irritability thus the will proper objectifies itself in this the cerebrum is the place of motives where through these the will becomes choice that is becomes more definitely determined by motives these motives are ideas which on the occasion of external stimuli of the organs of sense arise by means of the functions of the brain and are also worked up into conceptions and then into resolves when it comes to the real act of will these motives the workshop of which is the cerebrum act through the medium of the cerebellum upon the spinal cord and the motor nerves which proceed from it which then act upon the muscles yet merely as stimuli of their irritability for galvanic chemical and even mechanical stimuli can effect the same contraction which the motor nerve calls forth 
thus what was motive in the brain acts when it reaches the muscle through the nerves as mere stimulus sensibility in itself is quite unable to contract the muscle this can only be done by the muscle itself and its capacity for doing so is called irritability that is susceptibility to stimuli it is exclusively a property of the muscle as sensibility is exclusively a property of the nerve the latter indeed gives the muscle the occasion for its contraction but it is by no means it that in some mechanical way draws the muscle together but this happens simply and solely on account of the irritability which is a power of the muscle itself apprehended from without this is a qualitas occulta and only self-consciousness reveals it as the will in the causal chain here briefly set forth from the effect of the motive lying outside us to the contraction of the muscle the will does not in some way come in as the last link of the chain but it is the metaphysical substratum of the irritability of the muscle thus it plays here precisely the same part which in a physical or chemical chain of causes is played by the mysterious forces of nature which lie at the foundation of the process forces which as such are not themselves involved as links in the causal chain but impart to all the links of it the capacity to act as i have fully shown in section twenty six of the first volume therefore we would ascribe the contraction of the muscle also to a similar mysterious force of nature if it were not that this contraction is disclosed to us by an entirely different source of knowledge self-consciousness as will hence as was said above if we start from the will our own muscular movement appears to us as a miracle for indeed there is a strict causal chain from the external motive to the muscular action but the will itself is not included as a link in it but as the metaphysical substratum of the possibility of an action upon the muscle through brain and nerve lies at the foundation of the present muscular action also therefore the latter is not properly its effect but its manifestation as such it enters the world of idea the form of which is the law of causality a world which is entirely different from the will in itself and thus if we start from the will this manifestation has for attentive reflection the appearance of a miracle but for deeper investigation it affords the most direct authentication of the great truth that what appears in the phenomenon as body and its action is in itself will if now perhaps the motor nerve that leads to my hand is severed the will can no longer move it this however is not because the hand has ceased to be like every part of my body the objectivity the mere visibility of my will or in other words that the irritability has vanished but because the effect of the motive in consequence of which alone i can move my hand cannot reach it and act on its muscles as a stimulus for the line of connection between it and the brain is broken thus really my will is in this part only deprived of the effect of the motive the will objectifies itself directly in irritability not in sensibility in order to prevent all misunderstandings about this important point especially such as proceed from physiology pursued in a purely empirical manner i shall explain the whole process somewhat more thoroughly my doctrine asserts that the whole body is the will itself exhibiting itself in the perception of the brain consequently having entered into its forms of knowledge from this it follows that the will is everywhere equally present in the whole body as is also demonstrably the case for the organic functions are its work 
no less than the animal but how then can we reconcile it with this that the voluntary actions those most undeniable expressions of the will clearly originate in the brain and thus only through the spinal cord reach the nerve fibres which finally set the limbs in motion and the paralysis or severing of which therefore prevents the possibility of voluntary movement this would lead one to think that the will like the intellect has its seat only in the brain and like it is a mere function of the brain End of chapter 20, section 1, recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.